We've had people show up in 15 pastor vans and bring all their guy friends. And they come stumbling in the door. Like, this is our third stop. You know, Uber, you know, distilleries and he bars. Said, yeah. He said he won a set of pappy and needed some help picking it up. Yeah. You know, You're like, we're here to be guaranteed a pour. <laughs> That's right. This is Bourbon Pursuit the official podcast of Bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Bourbon and charity, well, it really goes hand in hand. There have been millions of dollars raised thanks to donations and the willingness of a community, listeners like you and many others, to purchase for a good cause. However, doing it legally is not an easy task. So I've invited Eric Clements and Kenny Rambo of Give270 on the show to talk about doing it legitly. They started Give270 by raffling rare bourbons in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and they raise money for local charities. And their mission is to make participation affordable and fun. However, this model has proven it's successful, but it required getting licensed for charitable gaming. And they discuss how they transition from a 501c nonprofit and how they source rare bourbons, select the charities, do real paper raffles, and even handle taxes. While rewarding, they note that there are challenges in navigating regulations, and finding inventory amidst a secondary market demand can also prove challenging as well. With that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Tyler Bryant, who writes me on fredminnick.com. I'm aware that the term single barrel is not regulated. Are big distilleries marketing bottles as single barrel when, in fact, they are actually small batch? If so, are there any specific bottles that you know of using the term single barrel deceptively? Great question, Tyler, and thank you for coming on over to the curmudgeon side. You sound like someone who uh, looks at every single label, the proof where it's distilled, and studies the language. I like this. I like it when someone is trying to be informed and educated like Tyler here. This is awesome. So here is what I know, what I have seen. I know that the secondary barrels, like uh, so we're talking about like a larger sherry barrel, a larger port barrel, those can sometimes take two, three, four barrels because they're so large. So we are seeing some single barrels coming out of that. So they would originally be four and five bourbon barrels, and they get dumped into a into a single barrel of port. And you are seeing that being referred to as a single barrel of port finished bourbon. But you know, I think that it's that probably could be tightened up, but I don't think that anyone's being deceptive with that. That's pretty much all around. Like people are doing barrel picks and they're doing a, they're getting a barrel pick and it's in a sherry barrel that's enormous or a cognac barrel that's way larger than a, than a bourbon barrel. And so obviously there's a lot more bottles coming out of there. You know, you'll see like, <laughs> you know, you've got a bigger barrel when your average yield of a barrel is 125 and suddenly you got like three, 400 bottles. So it's, it's obvious but no one's really being deceptive about it, but that's the one area that could probably be tightened up a little bit. I've actually been on the hunt. I've been been on the hunt for this for a long time. So I started harping on single barrel not being regulated. I want to say in 2007, this was one of my big like, oh, I'm going to get somebody back when I was a really active kind of like an had like this investigative mindset. And I, I did, I, I searched a lot and one of my editors pulled me aside and he's like, he's like, Fred, you realize that, you know, truth in advertising is regulated by the FTC. And while it may not be regulated by the TTB, they do have to follow advertising laws. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, okay. <laughs> So even though this is not technically regulated by the TTB, a single barrel does in fact mean a single barrel. And so you you can, a distillery could get in a lot of trouble for fraud, you know, and be sued and have licenses taken away and get things stripped away from them if they work hot being fraudulent with that 
And I, I don't think that's a risk that many would be willing to take. And it's also, it doesn't take a lot to figure that out. Consistency is one. Like if you, if you find a single barrel program that's consistent, you know, at some point a whiskey geek is going to figure that out and call it out. So I, I don't think that single barrel is as much as something that's used as it's deceptive as small batch. Small batch is an entirely different story. It means absolutely nothing. You could have a, you could have 2000 barrels in a batch and call it small batch. Are there people doing that? I'm sure there are, but most I have seen that someone use in a dump is like, by dump, I mean like how many barrels they put in is like 200, 250. And that's not small at all, but it's not as egregious as like a thousand barrels. To me, like it's not small batch unless it's 25 barrels or less. To me, that just, to me, that's small batch, but I think I'm in the minority there. I'm also not affiliated with a distillery or a brand. So they got that real estate on the label. They know what sells whiskey and they're going to go with it. And fortunately for us, single barrel is one that pretty much most people are following. The only one that could use some tightening up, like I said, is that special barrel finish. But hey, great question, Tyler. If you want to be like Tyler Bryant, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Hit the contact button. And if I like the idea, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back, everybody. It's another fantastic episode of Bird Pursuit coming at you. Kenny and Ryan here once again, but this time talking about good things, good causes. The feel goods. The feel goods. Yeah. Yeah. This is a topic that's true and dear to my heart because I want to do an economic study on how much money the bourbon industry has raised through different raffles, different charities, different auctions. I mean, it's got to be tens of millions. I would say even more than that. I you mean, think? Uh, yeah. I mean, you take of like just one charity, like the Bourbon Crusaders, you know, did like 700,000 and then like the tornado did you know, over a million. And it's like, there's tons of those going on across the country, but fifties of fifties of millions. Is that a thing? Probably fifties of millions. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's a good denomination. But anyways, I think today's going to be fascinating because I learned firsthand how challenging and difficult it can be to run these bourbon charities and raffles. There's a lot of legal hoops. People don't realize a lot of people behind the scenes making these happen. And I think this will be a fun, enlightening conversation just to see like, 
you know, those bourbon raffles and charities, how they all work and how it comes to fruition and whatnot. So, and how do you make it legit? And how do you make it legit? That's the other thing uh, too, because yeah, anybody can throw a bourbon raffle together, but you just don't want the government coming for you and going, wait, hold, wait, wait a minute here. I, I didn't think that red flag. Yeah. There was like, there's some, somebody didn't file a, some kind of permit here that we need, but these guys are going to be able to give us a, a big deep dive on that as well as kind of talk about everything that they've been doing as part of the organization, as well as the organizations that they have helped over the past few years. So today on the show, we have Eric Clements and probably the coolest name in bourbon. That's right. Kenny Rambo here it's on the show. By far the coolest name we've had on, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> I thought y'all were talking about me. Yeah, well, Eric, you know. It, Clements, sorry. Yeah. Well, Eric, just be over here not talking. It's so. okay. It's well, okay. Your shirt's cool. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's from the grandmother's curtains collection. Yeah, yeah. So. I love it. Yeah. Always compensating. That's right. Yeah. Well, fellas, I do want to say thank you again and, and welcome for coming here. So, Eric, we'll, we'll kind of start with you first. It sounds like I didn't really know this. Is uh, You and Ryan kind of a little bit of a history here. That's right. You, uh, uh, so I made my worst, I R- think. Ryan and I, yeah, <laughs> Ryan, probably, probably mutual there. Ryan and I, uh, we were fraternity brothers at uh, the University of Louisville, so some of the finest years of my life paying for my friends. And uh, so right. Ryan was uh, one of the friends I paid for, and it was uh, it was good times. We crossed uh, a couple years, yep. a little bit older, you know, a few more gray hairs. But he he sh- showed me the way, you know, on, you know, gave me the... You know, the playbook. This is how you, you, you survive this college thing. Is know? that what it is, or was it a lot more hazing involved? Yeah. There? No, no hazing. No they hazing? Were, they were good. They were they go. were very friendly, very, uh, you know, good leaders. You we, know. Were, we were about having fun and secret handshakes and secret society and, you know, all, all that, that good I, stuff. I, I know yeah. what it's all about, for sure. And we had, yeah, we had a lot of fun, that's for sure. And and we always did this thing, you know, famous Sigma Chi's. We're, we're Sigma Chi's, and we always had this wall of famous people. So now Ryan's going to be on the board with <laughs> Burt Reynolds and... <laughs> David Letterman and everybody. I, I, I no, mean, no, no. The king of the king of bourbon here, you two guys. So One of these that'll days, be, that'll be fun. They're gonna bury me in Miami of Ohio or whatever or wherever. <laughs> what's that town? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, up in my, uh, Oxford. Oxford. Yeah, yeah. 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 They'll bury me next to all those people. There so. you go. There you go. Here's our founders and, <laughs> and Ryan. And Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So, uh, but just a quick question, sort of like your background, your history, and sort of like how you got into this organization of Give Two Seven Zero. So, believe it or not, uh, about 10 years ago, my buddy Joe and, and I, we started a variety show. So, we do this annually at the Historic State Theater in downtown Elizabethtown. This is our 10th anniversary of this show. It's kind of like Saturday Night Live on a little bit of steroids, but it's, you know, family-friendly comedy. And that is how I met Kenny, actually, because Kenny and his his company, their, their PR firm, started helping us with uh, a lot of stuff around our show. And then ultimately, Kenny and, and uh, another gentleman named Joe co-founded Give270, and then we ended up being one of the... Uh, Philanthropy. We thought you guys that, needed some help. We, that, we were looking for a charitable cause. <laughs> if these guys are funny, we, we and see that struggling. So we got to we got to do <laughs> Man, something. If with there's them. charity to be had in this community, Eric's it. <laughs> these guys for sure. So so yeah, that's how uh, that's how Kenny and I met, and then through happenstance, uh, a few years later, Kenny and I got together and started talking about how can we take Give270 the next level? We can now do charitable gaming. You know, what does that look like? And we kind of developed this plan and, you know, the rest is history. Kenny Kenny has the details, so he's he, he'll talk about, about the down and dirty a he's lot the, more than I will. He's so. the executioner. That's right. Yeah. That's right. The executioner? That's, that's, I'm just no, the whatever. pretty face. <laughs> that's what Kenny's, that, the Kenny here is the same. So yeah, it, the the Kenny's in the room will take care of business. You, yeah. If you all have the ideas, we'll take we'll, care. We'll bring you the ideas and yeah, the, Ryan the and silliness. Ryan and I will fall down the stairs. Exactly. <laughs> Lucky to have us, right? Yeah, yeah pretty much. Right. Pretty much. So can you kind of give your background on sort of where you came from? He just said, you know, you're kind of in the PR world and stuff like that. And assuming you all are still doing day jobs, right? I mean, it's still not a... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Give270 is, is very much a volunteer uh, side hustle. It's in addition to our full-time work. So as Eric mentioned, part of a marketing PR and digital firm that's been based in Elizabethtown since 2006 called Heartland. And the real backstory and kind of the connection there with Give270 is, uh, as, as Eric also mentioned, Joe Humphrey, a gentleman from our team uh, at the time, we had been working on some various projects in the community. One of them was actually to help our town be able to sell expanded or have al- expanded alcohol sales. As legend had it, Elizabethtown had been dry since uh, World War II. Basically, the story was that soldiers were coming in from Knox and were shipping off to World War II. 
guess before you do that, you want to have a drink or two. And there was an altercation one evening that, and again, this is as legend has it, <laughs> soldier shoved a, a doctor over the bushes in his yard. And the next day, that physician's wife kind of got the, the the movement going locally to to prohibit alcohol there. And that remained the case for many, many years. And based on some things that we worked on, we just saw that, hey, the, the community is really missing out on some economic opportunity related to this, especially in the retail and restaurant environment. So our firm worked behind the scenes to get that issue on the ballot that passed successfully in 2011. Why, why though, as a, as a PR firm, why, why would you look at it and be like, we've got to do alcohol reform? Think about the potential. I mean, it was right like there. Like a good on- challenge? No. <laughs> um, no, actually, it, it's interesting because it had kind of come full circle. One of the major projects that our firm worked on early in its time was transformation of the Fort Knox military post through the BRAC transformation. So the background on this and, and the, the shortest version is there have been some decisions made that moved some missions away from Fort Knox, brought new missions in. And it was bringing with it a more white collar workforce that had been in communities like Alexandria, Virginia, Indianapolis, Indiana, St. Louis, Missouri. And as we were hosting that relocating workforce that the community really needed to convince to make the move to central Kentucky, it became very apparent how countercultural our alcohol rules were. So there was a real need and public will to make that change so that we could provide you know, an amenity that's just become a part of adult quality of life. And that's really why we drove it from that standpoint. Because while we're a marketing and PR firm at our, our core, we really do our best work at that intersection of community, economic, and workforce development. So there were just a lot of ties that lined up there. Gotcha. Fascinating that, you know, given E-Town's location, you know, situated right there, pretty close to Nelson County, sure. 35, 45 minutes from Louisville, right there on I-65, in between Nashville and you know, it, it just seemed like crazy that it was dry, you know, and and since it's passed, it's amazing what it's done for that community. It really Can you is. talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, I, I'm not a history major, but I think it probably has a little bit to do with Nelson County being settled by Catholics and Hardin yeah, County being settled true. by Baptists. But uh, that, that's for we the We do like books. to drink as Catholics. Uh, <laughs> so... Anyways, yeah, it's, it's just had a huge impact. Uh, we've seen a, a number of new retail establishments come in, obviously packaged stores that uh, have filled uh, vacant retail space. The restaurant scene um, is probably the most notable impact and, and change that we've seen. Some great local flavor now on our downtown square, including some great friends of, of our organizations. Um, Impelazari's Pizza has an Elizabethtown location that performs very well. And they, the owners of that, that restaurant have launched a second concept, the first of its kind in Elizabethtown. It's a craft burgers, bourbon, and, and beer place called JR Neighbors, which has some cool history. Their story related to kind of Carrie Nation coming to Elizabethtown many years ago. JR Neighbors was actually a uh, saloon owner that got warned that Carrie was on the way to his establishment to axe up the bar. And he met her on the sidewalk, as the story goes. And I think it was maybe $25 fine. It's on the wall of the restaurant, $25 fine for accosting her and keeping her out of his establishment. <laughs> right. Uh, so they they adopted that name. But but it's in that, you know, it's kind of that quality of place, just new opportunities. And we have our first distillery under construction in Elizabethtown. Of course, Boundary Oak is already in the Radcliffe area. So some, some really cool things ahead in the in the community there. Very cool. And so what was the the generation of thought behind Give 270 and 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 why, why, why kind of build it? Why kind of start going down that path? Sure. When folks ask me that, I usually ask, do you want the PR answer or, or you know, do you want the good story? I mean, we want the good, yeah. we get the good I, yeah, story. So. I mean, it's, yeah. if you want to give so, the PR answer, you yeah. put it in a press release. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll read your website. So, um, <laughs> no, having been involved with, with that work around expanding alcohol sales, we were just kind of looking across the landscape, seeing some of the impact that it was having in the community and realizing, you know, hey, we're not participating in this. We didn't have room, you know, within our schedules to, to launch a, a business, be that a, a store or a tavern or restaurant. But uh, what we thought we could do well was put on a, an event. So in 2016, we founded Give270. We formed the 501c3. And in large part, that was so that we could apply for the temporary ABC licensing that allowed us to introduce the Kentucky Craft Beer Festival. And that, alongside the Eric and Joe show, uh, became our two signature fundraising events. We ran that event for, for about four years. We went from 
hanging out with 425 of our, our closest friends for a tasting event in year one, year four, we were north of 950 folks in attendance. Wow. COVID kind of took the wind out of that sales, but as luck would have it. And so it started charitable off as gaming. Just- just beer. That's kind of how it just started. Right? Yeah. That uh, was kind of uh, of interest to us at that point. It was emerging. Elizabethtown about a year later saw its first craft brewery come into the market, uh, Flywheel. And um, we just saw some energy around that, right? Like, you know, you, you hadn't had those sorts of things in the community. And this was a good one to kind of jump on board with. And the Craft Beer Festival was uh, a tasting event where we featured craft beer from around the state and, and beyond. Really cool. And so at some point, you, I, I'm sure we all saw just bukus of auctions of bourbons coming online. And, and whether they were for personal gain or whether they're for charitable gain, you saw a lot of people really kind of diving into these things. So at what point was the shift going from like, hey, we got to we got to see what this bourbon thing's all about, too? Sure. Well, and, and a lot of that comes from the connection with Eric and I. But I will say that the Craft Beer Festival had a, a role to play in that. Liquor Barn was kind enough to be a sponsor for our event early on. They, they kind of jumped on board and trusted what we were doing. And one of the ways that they uh, supported us in the third and fourth year of the festival was by helping us out, by selling us an allocated bottle with the idea that we could raffle it off. And that's when we learned pretty quickly, oh, there's a bunch of rules to this. And um, we started to dig in and we ended up partnering with a, a local nonprofit that had an established charitable gaming license. They basically sold tickets at the event that year and, and were able to to reap some benefit in that regard. And we became aware that there was a waiting period. There's, I think, a three-year, it might be four-year period that a nonprofit has to be established before it can apply for a charitable gaming license oh, with really? the state. Okay. Um, so you've got to have some time. Yeah, I learned that. Some time. Yeah. yeah. You've got to have some time and history under your belt. So that kind of just put it into the to the idea queue. You know, it's like, hey, once we once we get ripe and we're eligible for that, we should figure out what that looks like. And then enter Eric and I's working relationship and lots of brainstorming over bourbon. A lot of tastings <laughs> led to that. Bottle's pretty good. Sessions. We should give that away. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. one thing that I, I don't think there's uh, any way that these charitable raffles and that would be as successful if it wasn't for the secondary market, you know, because that allowed people to see that there's a market outside of just the retail and that the values of these products are more than you can get them on the retail shelf. And I think that's what got lost in the short-sightedness from distilleries or whoever that wanted to shut down the secondary market because the, the unintended consequences was like, yeah, this gave a value to these products to make them where people want to invest or buy these at charities or auctions or bids or raffles or whatever. And so I think that secondary market was what was huge for the the, the raffle game. Oh, absolutely. And and that's what's so interesting. You know, you have the opportunity for any spirit to just simply be a consumer good. But when you get to that affinity and enthusiasm of the audience, then you've got some opportunities to leverage that. That's what we've been able to do from a standpoint of the fundraising. And it's it's remarkable, our audience and the folks that, that participate and, and that we get to interact with when they win, like they're excited about the bottle that they've won. There is no doubt, but their enthusiasm for the way that they're giving back and helping out the community just has caused us over and over to remark, like, you know, just bourbon people are the best people. Oh yeah. Hands down, hands down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, you know, we do, we do our weekly whiskey Wednesday strong and it's a $5 ticket. I mean, it's, you know, we always joke around and say, Hey, if you can't afford to buy one of our tickets, just don't have a Starbucks that day. And then there's your money. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like the 401k thing. That's, that's yeah. exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. Round, round up your dollars or your yeah, cents. Yeah. 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 Whatever that, that group used to be that, that did that. And, and that was very much the case. It's, it's okay. Buy a $5 ticket and it's the, the camaraderie and all these people from the bourbon community that are that are watching us on YouTube because we have to do our drawings live yep. and we have to do them from the same location at the same time every every week and and those groups are just constantly commenting and hey good luck to everybody I hope I win but if I don't hey at least you know I can lay my head on my pillow tonight after having a couple cocktails watching you idiots and know that you know my 5 10 25 50 dollars is going to a good cause in a community you know in Kentucky and that's the all other cool thing we are seeing people I don't know that we've seen anyone from Alaska yet or Hawaii because it's hard for them to get their bottles, but right. we've probably seen winners from the majority of the other 48 states so far. Yeah. I mean, last night there was a winner from Long Beach, California. 
so we we have and 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 again they're helping in many cases because our footprint our focus is very much hardening kind of the surrounding counties we've had a number of opportunities to do some things statewide but these folks from states all over the country are contributing and they're giving back to our local community but they're still bought in on that and i think it's it's because of that connectedness to the product and and to where it comes from it makes people feel good about gambling you know exactly (laughs) exactly it's what we're here for (laughs) yeah but that was my favorite thing about you know they had the I guess the razzles or power balls or this or that on the secondary market, you know, was staying up watching those. And I didn't care if I went, but it was just fun. But now, you know, seeing it, being able to do it legally and and whatnot is is fascinating. Like, because I still do these and then I'm like, if I win, I'd like it, but please just keep the bottle or give it to someone else. But it's just something about, you know, doing the game of it or something, you know, whatnot. Well, you definitely have a heart of gold when it comes to it as well. So you you like to donate your I your do. time and your money and your energy to it. I also want to give a shout out to some of our listeners have actually won some of your Wednesday things because I remember at one point we got a comment on our Facebook feed and they were like, I had no idea if it was a scam or not. And all of a sudden I won and I was super excited. <laughs> and so they were like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. So it's really cool to be able to see that to even our community that's, that's getting behind it and doing that kind of stuff as well. So when you all are trying to figure out, and let's just kind of, talk about the logistics of it as well. So you had mentioned the charitable gaming license and that taking a few years to kind of build on top of it. If you were somebody that wanted to do something in their own local municipality, you want to just get a 501c3 and sit on it for a few years? Like, is that what you have to do? Or is it something where you can do something in the meantime to help build up that rapport and build up your, you know, everything that you're doing and, and get to that point. Yeah, it's a great question, Kenny. And, and let me clarify that the licensing that we have allows our 501c3 to, to do this on a recurring basis, kind of as a, as a ongoing type of fundraising model. There are some exemption licenses that are available and it has to do with a, a gross amount that you're planning on raising. There are certain types of organizations that are exempted from the state charitable gaming license. All of that information is available from the Department of Charitable Gaming website through the state of Kentucky. So for folks that might not be looking to do this, you know, as, as kind of a recurring, I mean, this is core to what Give270 does in terms of its its service to our community. But there are exemptions that would allow certain organizations or folks that weren't looking to raise a certain threshold of money to, to just get out there with one of those applications, almost on a on a short term or a one time basis. What did you learn from that? Trying to raise money on a short term basis there, Ryan? Yeah, basically, they told me it was going to take, you know, like six months to get a one from for just our you know, our podcast. So they recommended me trying to partner with an existing 501c3 to to make that happen, you know, so they could get that temporary, you know, one-time use license or whatever. And that was like, you know, going through this whole thing. It was like, I just want to raise money. Like, why can't I do something good, you know? <laughs> but I get it. There's bad actors out there and they got to make sure they go through the proper channels and whatnot. Highly regulated. I mean, every event that we run has three licenses. There is the charitable gaming license that is an annual application process and review process that we have to adhere to. And then we have to have a state and a local city ABC license because there's alcohol involved. So highly regulated, but I think rightfully so. As you said, there's a lot of bad actors out there and you want to have that legitimacy. But to your point about partnering with an existing nonprofit, that was one of the other things that we thought we could could bring to bear by making this a part of what Give270 does in the community. And that's really played out. Eric mentioned our our weekly $5 raffles. Those were kind of an original concept. And they came from one of those, you know, brainstormings over a, a tasting where we looked out and said, man, there's all these events out there. We participate in them. But you know, when you're buying a hundred dollar raffle ticket, that's a judgment call because that's a pretty good bottle too, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, that you yeah. could just head to to your retailer and and pick up. So we really wanted the five dollar option to be something that we could put out there and anybody could participate. And you know, it's just a good yeah. time. It's a uh, it's a great excuse to hang out. You know, virtually on a Wednesday night and it's find easier out to if you scale win. too. Like that's what we ran into, and we had a lot of good, like really good bottles, like King of Kentucky 18's birthdays and people that donate are like, wait, you're not going to do an auction? And I was like, and I actually watched what you all did, you know, the raffles and saw how it scaled. And I was like, I think we can scale this better. Right. If we make it $50 a chance, I think more people will be apt 
to take a chance at $50, feel good about it. And if they lose it, it's okay. But if you do an auction, you're really limiting the pool of potential buyers yeah, that are going sure. to bid on that bottle. Yeah. Well, and, and that's exactly it. You know, with Whiskey Wednesdays, we want people coming back, hanging out with us week after week, let that audience scale up so that uh, we can expand the impact. But then we have our, our Bourbon Strong events, which are typically either a 50 or or $100 ticket, to your point. And a lot of times what's happening with those is a nonprofit organization is approaching us just as described. They're looking for someone to partner with. They want to raise money this way. They don't have that infrastructure in place. We hear them out, learn a little bit about what they're trying to accomplish and are able to then kind of link up and, and put that together as an event that benefits them and, and that they see those proceeds from. Yeah. So do you on the weekly, do you cap the tickets or is it just uh, as many as get sold, get sold? Yes. Yeah, so from the five dollar standpoint, no, we don't we don't cap the tickets at all. Our bourbon strongs are usually capped depending on the price pool or, you know, the ticket price or what we're actually doing with that. But no, from a from a weekly standpoint, we have our you know loyal followers. And it seems like every week we have someone that's commenting, hey, first time joining you guys, you know, good luck to everybody or whatever. And we have a pretty consistent number that we're hitting. But we, we felt capping that was, you know, because one thing we do also is we don't just give away one bottle or sure. one set of bottles. We're giving away multiple prizes every week. So as long as we're able to uh, you know, afford the bottles and afford what we're doing, that's our plan. We're going to keep upscaling. We would love to sell $10,005 tickets a week because then we're going to give away more bottles. We're not just going to keep the same you know, price set that we always have. We're just going to keep expanding it because that's how we initially started. We were giving away one bottle a week. Then it went to two. Now it's five. And then when we do our Bourbon Strongs, those are what we typically call a 50 for 50. So it's a $50 ticket. But each ticket has two chances to win. And that evening we give away 50 bottles so we're just sitting there just wearing the tumbler out drawing names and and to that said you literally know, literally yeah. we're, we're on tumbler number two and should probably have a third <laughs> bolts are falling off and everything else but but yeah that's so you'll it, actually do the tumbler where you're that's that's that's, a, that's part of the charitable gaming yeah, yeah. you know during how do, you, how do you what's the what's the logistics of that like do you have to print it all out and cut them all up and put them in there and literally tickets go in sales at 7 p.m and Kenny's at the computer, he's putting the spreadsheet together and then sending it to the printer. And we have teams of volunteers that have cutting boards and they're cutting out each individual ticket. So you can pop into our office at any given time to collect your prize. And usually the tickets are still there in the tumbler. And uh, that, that's that's how you have to do it. For a short time during COVID, like you, you charge could- picnic. I love it. You could do like a selection, random yeah, selector could- on the computer. But but then they killed that afterwards, so everyone has to go back to a paper ticket. Oh, really? That's wow. what they I had. Did, they the, had the, passed, I guess, kind of an emergency option to be able to do it with a you know randomizer during during the pandemic. But they walked that back, and and it's physical tickets and oh, crap. I must um, have broke some laws. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to keep them for like. We don't actually, I'm oh, not really? even sure how long we have to keep them. We've got the 83 basement. years, I think. Yeah. 83 years. There's just all these old oh, rickety trash bags full of <laughs> yeah, these yeah. things. So, yeah. Shelves in the basement yeah. with these the heavy boxes, boxes. boxes. Big dish bag. <laughs> Whiskey Wednesday, August of 2028. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In related news, Give270 will soon be announcing a self-storage business. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Right. Also cool. planting trees because yeah. we're killing a lot yeah, of them by go. cutting up all these raffle tickets. But, you know, that's been another really neat thing of this is folks that tune in on on Wednesday evenings for the live stream, they, they see Eric and I being idiots on camera. The reality is there's there's usually a, a pretty good sized group around the room every evening, guys coming in, volunteering, helping cut tickets, just, you know, pitching in. And we've kind of joked like we're all terrible at poker. So this is this is what we do. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's better uh, than losing. Money. Right, yeah. right, right. So I want to talk about that when you partner with someone and I guess with, you know, the the hardest part is for me wasn't you know setting it up i mean obviously it's taking pictures doing this that putting on the website but the hardest part was when people win is like getting them to actually like pick up the prizes and like getting the prizes to them like do like when you partner with someone are you like that's your thing or do you all take care of that as well shopify's already taken the cash register online helping millions sell billions around the world But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner. 
that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. When you partner with someone, are you like, that's your thing, or do you all take care of that as well? We handle the entire outfit. So we do uh, do a small split of, of the overall pot after expenses are paid because that's what people think is you run a nonprofit, all these bottles are getting donated and you have no expenses. No, we're still running a business. It's a business. We have bills. We have expenses. And as you mentioned, the secondary market, you're not walking into, you know, we have s- several liquor store partners and but you're not walking in and finding, you know, a flight of Pappy that they're going to sell you for 800 bucks, you know, for, for retail price. You are we're very much paying secondary prices when we, we get our, our bourbon and, and it, there's some serious expense to these, uh, to these raffles. So we will handle everything, but we do a, a, you know, pay all the expenses to a small split so we can pay our bills. And then the rest is free and clear for you all to donate to your worthwhile cause. Does that ever become a, a concern? To say, like, we're paying all this money for secondary bottles because we, we want the people to come. We want them to see that this is a really good prize to win. And is there any point to say, like, oh, no, like, ticket sales aren't, aren't going. Like, are we be underwater in this one? Like, has, has, has that thought crossed yet? Like, <laughs> We've had a couple of those where we were like, oh, man. But then again, we'll, we'll put out a video or something. And we do. We have really awesome, loyal followers and players of of our of our raffles and uh, you know we'll, we'll put out a video and say hey guys you know we're a little short this week or you know we're really hoping to come in strong the last couple of days remember this is what the cause is going to and then they always come through we've we haven't lost on one yet yeah we've we've scaled well and yeah so knock on wood we've we've never been underwater on one and i guess we're uh I don't know, entrepreneurial enough that we try not to, to think about that too much. <laughs> the, the PR firm comes out in you. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, just tell some more people. We'll get this figured out. That's all right. Because I, I, I know folks like like Justin's House of Bourbon, like I know they've donated bottles and stuff like that. Have you have you tried to sit there and start approaching stores that want to be like, hey, we'll recognize you as a part of this. And, and if you want to donate and kind of like what you had said with maybe Liquor Barn a little bit earlier, at least they got it at SRP or whatever. Is there an opportunity for that? And maybe it doesn't have to be in Kentucky. I mean, there's there's probably liquor stores around the country that would love to have some sort of recognition there. We will welcome donated bourbon anytime that someone's willing and interested. Well, and, uh, and one tip of advice, these sorry distilleries, but they have closetfuls of bottles sure. dedicated for charity that people forget about. And so they just need to know like that there's a place to like actually send them. So if you're a distillery and, you know, you have those bottles that are allocated to, you know, these types of charities, you know, email us at give two seven zero. That's right. <laughs> yes, but that's so, what I found yeah. out is like they just, you know, it's one of those things they just, it's not intentional. They just forget that they even have them. <laughs> well, and, and I think you know our goal was rather than starting there, we wanted to prove the model and our legitimacy ahead of that. But we have, yeah, you just don't want to go ask for handouts yeah, right absolutely. away because they're they're getting handout, you know, asked that a ton, yeah. you know. But but we've absolutely had scenarios where folks have donated bottles. In fact, one store owner uh, in Elizabethtown, John O's, he's uh, one of our great partners and. and and friends and colleagues there in the community, he came to us specifically and said, hey, I'd like to donate this set. But he also had the outcome in mind, a local Catholic school where his kiddos and grandkids attended. He was like, could we work on something to support them? So that's a really cool thing where you've got that relationship not only helping you source the product, but now they are fully vested in the outcome as well. And we've just had a a number of 
of stories like that. We've had some scenarios in the community where our local bourbon club donated bottles, uh, the Louisville Bourbon Club donated bottles, where we were helping out with some tornado relief in western Kentucky. So again, bourbon people are the best people. And and we know, I think, that more and more of that's going to come as as we establish and show our legitimacy and the outcomes you're gonna having. you're definitely gonna leave here today with some bottles <laughs> we're giving y'all some to all take right, with sweet you. yeah there you go awesome. all right you heard it here yep so, it's gonna happen you'll have that's a right. chance to win it soon yeah. <laughs> that's right. and so now that because you're, you're a little bit different in the fact that you are essentially a platform where i've seen it 50,000 times we get emails of, oh, this police department wants to put on a bourbon raffle or this school wants to put on a bourbon raffle. Can you please donate to whatever? But since you're the platform and people come to you, what's that vetting process like to say, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, Mother Teresa's orphanage. I, I think you guys are doing OK. We're going to go help somebody else over here. So how do you figure out who is... I don't want to say worthy, but how do you sit there and vet and or say, legit, you know, yeah, sure. everything like that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it, there, there's a couple of things. And, and right now, so much of our work has been fo- focused on that local community that there tends to be a pretty good familiarity with the organizations and, and the folks that are out there. You know, our funds are moving from our nonprofit to other eligible nonprofits, 501c3 organizations. So that's the first thing. They're going to have to check that box and, and be a cause that we can direct those funds to. And then from the very beginning, our organization has been fortunate enough to really have two things in play that I think make a big difference. Number one, we have a working partnership with United Way of Central Kentucky, which is a obviously uh, nationally known brand in, in philanthropy. Their local organization has been in Central Kentucky for 22 years now, and they are oftentimes a resource that we will use not only to vet causes that are interested in working with us, but to also understand kind of the overall picture, the broader picture of philanthropy and kind of where that's shaking out in our community. And then the second thing is, you know, an engaged volunteer board. And we've got a a tight-knit circle of uh, of friends and colleagues that volunteer and spend their time uh, supporting this. And we're constantly kind of weighing those decisions collectively, batting that around, making certain that it's things that we want to be vested in from a a giving standpoint. And uh, it works out real well in that regard, I think. And I guess another thing that I want to kind of bring up is the idea of compliance, because you had mentioned like, oh, we have these physical tickets that we've got to hang on to for 83 years. And I'm sure it's not a far stretch of there's, there's something that you have to do. There's record keeping. There's everything like that. So for anybody out there that's that's like, hey, these guys are an inspiration. I'm going to go do this. Like, give <laughs> give a little bit more of the, I wouldn't say the dark side, but you could say like, what's it really take the challenges, to do? Yeah, yeah, I mean, some of those those challenges that you've learned through this last night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you you can put a little bit of that into words. Yeah. So so we had a malfunction last night with with our software. We'll call it. Uh, the tumbler, the grease, the bearings went out. <laughs> I wish it had been that because yeah. we could have thrown the That'd tickets in the air and just yeah. caught a couple coming down. But no, there was some maintenance being done on our, our back systems and there was an issue and we couldn't print tickets. So we went live at eight uh, with a screen that just said, hey, we're going to get going as soon as we can. And got absolutely roasted yeah, in the oh, comments. No. Got roasted. <laughs> and then we had uh, some tickets that printed with all the information so we can, hey, you know, Ryan Cecil with ticket 12341. And then others that just had a number on the ticket. Which meant we had to go into the system to check and find it, the name. Yeah, which was crawling. Yeah. Crawling. Yeah. Now, again, we've we've been at this for, you know, a couple of years now and have never had an evening quite like that. But, but you know, it was like, oh, have a nonprofit, do bourbon raffles, they said, it'll be fun. <laughs> you know, so that was some of it. But I would say probably the most daunting piece, and, and we hear this from nonprofit organizations that have come to us and said, hey, we've done some fundraising like this before, but we're not, we're not sure we want to anymore. We'd like to talk to you guys about possibly being the, the platform. And that's probably the reporting that is required with the state. Like anything regulated, the state has um, some oversight, for most organizations, that's going to be an annual report that they have to file in our circumstance, and it's it's volume-based. We're having to submit that, I don't know, 20-tab spreadsheet to Frankfurt every quarter. 
And in that, we're having to document every transaction, every expense that flowed through our charitable gaming account, which in and of itself has to be a separate and distinct checking account from the the organization's general fund with only gaming-related activity flowing through that. So again, rightfully so regulated. I think for most organizations, especially when they have a volunteer treasurer and they're going to have turnover in those positions and those sorts of things, that's probably the most daunting thing, right? Because anything you do once a year, you do for the first time every year, right? Mm -hmm. And the fact that we're doing that quarterly helps a little bit. And that's where I think we can provide, again, kind of that platform solution of, hey, we can roll that in. We're going to be doing that anyways. And you don't have to have someone, you know, within your volunteer organization get smart on that year after year. Because that, that's probably the the most daunting thing, at least from my perspective. Yeah, you know. And but, I mean, you're responsible for the Tumblr, so I'm sh- <laughs> I probably shouldn't steal your thunder there. Get the hardest well, job. Well, yeah, that and, and then just getting the bourbon. As you know, bourbon, and we were talking about this off air, you know, some of the challenges you have with finding bourbon. And then you have to, you know, buy it legitimate, too. We can't just, you know, I can't just knock on your door and say, hey, man, you know, give 270 wants to buy some bourbon from me. You know, oh, got to make sure that the state gets their taxes <laughs> and everything like that, because, you know, that can also get you in trouble. So, you know, having enough partners where you can get the stuff and, and get the stuff that people want to win. So that's, you know, something especially with the volume that we're giving away but uh, thankfully we've known met enough people in the bourbon industry and and nice people like you all that are willing to help us out and and help us out because it's a good cause i mean have you gotten to the point where people want to have you buy from their private collections and and what does that actually entail well i I, no for for like broader purposes no but we have you know you know in kentucky passed this uh, gray area vintage law exactly <laughs> and and we're you know that's the technical term yeah. <laughs> it's like well what does that even mean and i think the technical definition if i'm getting this right and you all probably know better than i am but it, it's anything that you know a distributor doesn't have or can't regularly get you you as a liquor store can't call up and say hey i want a 10-year pappy or whatever and they just say oh yeah here's an old van winkle you know so i think all of that technically falls under this gray area so i'm sure that's how items are uh being picked up by certain liquor stores and things like that because if you all have a huge collection and next thing you know your 16 year old needs a car and you say well i could sell five of the bottles on this shelf and she can have a you know bmw which in this market is true in some instances um you have a a, a legitimate way to offload those and, and, and they go to somebody else's hands listen to this podcast i know right <laughs> They don't. They promise. (laughs) We look at the demographics and they're not not a part of it. So the other thing is, you know, now that you you go through the the paperwork, it's always paperwork. Is there taxes that are involved when it comes to this, too? Is like, you know, you collect a big sum of money that comes in and yes, you take care of your expenses. You give some of the charitable organization. But I mean, are there taxes that come in that you have to pay to the government based on money that's raised for these organizations? So there there actually isn't necessarily a tax. Um, we, we do pay taxes on any bottles that we purchase through stores. That, oddly enough, does not fall under our sales tax exemption. Really? Um, I would have thought alcohol is exempt, exempt from you know? the sales tax exemption uh, huh. for nonprofits. Interesting. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, that's how those things work. But there is is a, um, a small percentage that is called the charitable gaming fee. And with each quarterly report that we file, 0.006 something, you know, times the, our gross ticket sales is a fee that we pay out to the charitable gaming department with each quarterly report for organizations that file uh, annually, they pay that on an annual basis. So, so the, the more money you raise, the more money you pay. It's kind of correct. Okay. Correct. There's a there's a small you know fee that the the state takes in that regard. Is there is there anything about the current system that you 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 would say like all right, state, we need to like change this or make this more easier. This would help us to get you know make this able to raise more funds or anything about the current system that you would change. You know that's an interesting question. Early on, I probably would have said yes, but I think as we've gotten into the routine and gotten comfortable, you you get a good understanding of how they're, they're, like, they're operating. Sense. Yeah, I, I've got to say, I mean, it's it's been a space where I've largely been in, impressed by Frankfurt. Great folks that when we've got questions, they'll they'll weigh in, help us out, both on the gaming side and at the ABC side. Because as I mentioned, you know, we've got to have these licenses from from both entities each time. 
would love to see maybe a little higher tech version of their reporting. It's <laughs> it's a uh, it's or, an ex- or maybe choosing the names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know it's a it's an Excel spreadsheet that you know we had to kind of follow their format and copying pasting becomes uh, a little daunting when you're when you're documenting three full months of transactions. And I think it probably is because it doesn't take into consideration the vast majority of folks under these licenses aren't doing quite the volume that we are because it's not the recurring model we operate under. So I don't know. And we've been, because the rules are what the rules are, we've found ourselves in a good space and that we've had the ability to be able to give back as much as we have and be able to help out these these other groups because if it were easy everybody would be doing it if if making bourbon was easy you know you all would be competing against way more than you are today so that's selfishly i don't have a huge problem with with every all the hoops we've had to jump through because it does keep we're going to be legitimate and it keeps the people that will be legitimate yeah. legitimate and, and and i think so i'll mention on that point where we could see some things better and and that's actually in the advertising environment that has probably proven in the in the the timeline of all of this to date to be the most challenging thing because early on we did a lot of advertising. We reached a, a national audience by way of social media advertising. That was really kind of our bread and butter when we first started. And now more and more out of really, I think, largely a position of caution, it's very difficult for us to get ads approved and out on social media because A, alcohol, B, gaming. And that's despite the fact that we have provided them licensing and things of that nature. And then, you know, you get into conversations with these, you know, you know, big tech companies. And it's very difficult to get to that point to say, no, look, we are legit and here's the legitimacy. And they want that to be, you know, an overabundance. And I get it. You know, they live in a world where CYA is, is is a way of life. It's a lot easier for them just to say no. Sure. Because there's another line of uh, 150,000 of the people trying to get advertising slots. So it's a lot. It, it's a it's a tough position. But hey, I mean, you know, calls for you guys to send a thank you note to Zuckerberg because, you know, that ad spending got to move around uh, with with our local friends. now. There we go. So. <laughs> we love it. See? All right. Then it comes to bourbon pursuit. There it seems like more uh, than happy to do it. <laughs> it seems like DTC or direct consumer would also help benefit these charities too, you know, like lowering those restrictions and whatnot would would definitely like expand the reach of, you know, the charity's ability to get draw in people from other parts of the country. Absolutely. Or having to physically go and pick up your bottles. Yeah. Something like that as well. Yeah. That's a whole nother. It's a whole other thing. Now now that is, that is one cool thing that we've seen, you know, with our audience, you know, there's no telling how many tourism dollars, you know, give to seven O has brought in because they got to pick up their bottles. They got to pick up their (laughs) bottles. And it's like, man, I, you know, I just want a a B-Tax set and I'm in California, but this is a perfect way for me to (laughs) get get to come to Kentucky and do the bourbon trail and, and see some cool things. And, and oh, by the way, take, you know, $10,000 secondary market with a bourbon home with me. Yeah. And and that has been, I mean, you know, we've had folks show up and they're bringing things for us to try and sample. We always appreciate that. <laughs> You're um, like, sure, yeah, bring whatever you yeah. want. I, I think the best we had someone bring in some things that he had rum finished himself. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun, you know, because it wasn't anything that we would have would have found. He had purchased some rum barrels and he finished some Buffalo Trace, Benchmark and Sazerac Rye and said, hey, you know, I wanted to share this with you guys. And it's like, very cool. Yeah. So. We've had people show up in 15 passenger vans and bring all their guy friends and they come stumbling in the door. Like, this is our third stop. You know, Uber, you know distilleries and he bars. Said, yeah. He said he won a set up happy and needed some help picking it up. Yeah. You know, like, we're here to be guaranteed a pour. That's right. You're like, that's you need right. to open that up right yeah, now. Yeah, I was up to say, I was like, there's, we have our tax too. Yeah. It's yeah. like, there's, there's no safety on it. Those bottles are actually be open on the way back home in that bus. at not, but yeah. I mean, this is a, this has been really enlightening to be able to kind of see exactly all the process that goes into it. And, and Ryan made a good it, sort of assumption saying, like, what would you change out of this? And, and kind of going forward, like, where do you see the vision of what Give270 can do? I mean, right now you are looking at your, your local communities and doing that. And I'm sure it, it's plenty to put on your plate, as we mentioned earlier, in this volunteer position that you're doing. Do you see like what you're building as something that's scalable that you could go beyond there? Or is it just saying like, let's let's focus on our pocket and then maybe we could, for lack of a better word, franchise this out. But I know or it's inspire not that. others to. Yes. Yeah. You know, we when the nonprofit started in 2016 up until 2021 in, in June, when we started doing the bourbon raffles, we had 
been able to give away around $200,000. Is that right. roughly? Yeah. And in the less than 24 months since we've started this concept, we can officially announce that as of this recording, we will be giving away a million dollars. Wow. Um, so when you talk about scalability, we think and we know that we're just starting. We would love to be able to continue to scale this thing. If it's other locations doing this under you know our platform, whatever that looks like, we we see that again, bourbon people are the best people. This this works. There's a lot of happy customers in form of people that are winning great bottles. And we are making a huge splash for organizations and groups and individuals that need some help and we're able to help them. And that's one unique thing about us is, you know, someone can have an immediate need. And a lot of times we're able to fill that immediate need because of the generosity of everybody that we work with. So that's a super cool feeling to know that one, we've come this far. And to answer your question, we hope we're sitting back in front of you in a couple of years announcing that we've given away $10 million, you know, and, and, and we think that's very possible. That's very cool. That's very cool. And I think one of the ways that that will come about is conversations like this, right? Like we will always have our branded events. We, we've introduced our, our third, which we should probably talk about a little bit. I know that we want to stay kind of evergreen, but we either have or we will have given away a Ford Lightning F-150 long range. Oh, oh man. man. I um, want a ticket. Yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> That is a new concept, and and it, it, it. Hold on, did Ford give this to you? You buy it? No, we uh, we we. There yeah, so we, we, we are in the secondary market again. That's right. <laughs> we, we we had the foresight enough to get one on order because we figured this was going to be good, and then also you know tying off the hills uh, of you know the battery plant that, yeah, that yeah. Ford and and Blue of K are building in in Glendale Elizabeth, in Glendale. Yeah. yeah, we we determined that hey, this would be something fun, and oh man, I'm know, totally we're two years on the wait list to get one, and it it came up and. And it's sitting in my shop building as we speak, ready to uh, start around raffle town, yeah. sales here. Or depending on when this releases, our winner's driving Yeah, our winner's driving around. That's but, right. But, you know, with it's that got said. got decals all over it. <laughs> right? It's embroidered in the seats. Yeah. It's not. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's that's kind of the fascinating thing about about bourbon. It's It's kind of this gateway to share with people all the other great things about the state, right? Like, I mean, sometimes Kentucky gets a bad rap, you know. And the idea that bourbon is an entryway to let people see the state a little differently and then to start to explore all these really cool things that are going on here and the culture and the heritage here. And the F-150 Lightning is a great example of that, right? That the batteries in those vehicles will soon be manufactured just down the road from, from our headquarters in Elizabethtown. So I think that's the idea is that the nonprofits has this opportunity to shine a light and introduce people just the same way that the bourbon industry does to to the broader audience and say, hey, this is a great place with great people and great stories. And I think what we'll see is there will be Give270 raffles out there running with different organizations with Give270 as the platform. You won't necessarily be hearing about that from us from a promotional standpoint, but that organization will be able to get in front of their audience. They'll be able to promote the opportunity. They'll use our platform to have that fundraiser and they'll get those proceed benefits without the overhead of, again, a volunteer trying to figure out how to how to wrangle the tech and the process and the reporting and all those things. Uh, we're just trying to kind of streamline it so that more and more folks can take advantage of uh, what's been a lucrative way to, to generate much needed philanthropic funds. Awesome. Very impressive. That's awesome. It's gonna, it goes from beer to bourbon, to Ford Lightnings, and then yachts. That's what's going to be next, right? <laughs> Write that down. That's right. Maybe we feel like we skipped a step there. Right? We should, let's go, we'll go to houseboats. You know, summer house yeah, we've got, we've got a we got summer okay. Okay. So. But fellas, I do want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. This is fantastic to learn more about your history, your background, but as well as all of the charitable giving and all the, honestly, just the effort that you put forth in doing this. I mean, this is something that as as we talk about and and everything that we've built just in the podcast, I mean, this is this is a labor of love and you are truly doing it as a labor of love as well. And so it's really cool to kind of see you all do that and and using bourbon as a vehicle because as you'd mentioned, bourbon people are the best people and there's a there's a lot of people out there that are that are willing to give not only just bottles but as well as as money to support good causes in the hopes that, yeah, you can take home a flight of something one day. For sure. We appreciate it. And what you all are doing is great. 
Both of us have Ural's bottles open and nearly gone on our home bars, and we also have them open for pours for anyone that comes and sees us at Give270. So keep doing the good things you're doing, and we look forward to seeing you all on billboards all over the United States soon. Oh. Let's restock your bar. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. We'll send you home with some stuff. Yeah. Well, <laughs> awesome. I mean, if people already hear it on the podcast, but go ahead, give another plug for Give270 about how they can get involved and everything they can do. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you're interested in uh, learning what we've got going on, uh, visit give 270 O-R-G. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram, maybe some other socials coming uh, in the near future. That's right. And live every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. on our YouTube channel, we will be doing live drawings. And they're a ton of fun, and we are huge well, morons on those, next week. So. Yeah, as, as long as the bearings don't give out. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And we can the... print tickets, right? Yeah. yeah. So. yeah. So hopefully that issue is resolved. <laughs> totally. All right. Well, make sure you follow Give270. Also follow Burn Pursuit, wherever you get your podcasts and your socials. If you like the show, share it with a friend, leave a review. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. Toodles. Cheers. Cheers.